If you're in Acts 12, if you're not, turn to Acts 12. That's where we're going to be at today, in Acts 12. I want to talk about something called divine protection. And I'm following up on, I'm following up, excuse me, on last week's sermon just a little bit. Last week's sermon, of course, was preaching Jesus and him crucified, uh, you and I knowing nothing except Christ in our encounters with others, in our conversations, how we live. And I wanted to just provide a bit of encouragement as you pursue this great task that's been set for us. Um, Back in October of 1993, I know some of you weren't even born yet. That's, I'm old. October of 1993, there was a call to the Rochester Police Department, Rochester, New York. There was a call being made, and sharpshooters were called out. Sharpshooters. Now, they surrounded this car. The call was that there was in the back seat of a car a man sitting with a rifle. Mm. So the police showed up, sharpshooters are in place, and they attempt to negotiate with the man, but there is no answer. There's no answer, right? The police watched, they waited, still no answer, no movement. This guy didn't even move. So finally, the police discovered the truth. The armed man in the back seat was a mannequin. A mannequin. This whole time they're negotiating, sharpshooters aimed at the ready. It's a mannequin. So when the authorities finally tracked down the owner of the car, he told them that he keeps the mannequin holding the gun in the back of his car for protection. He says, listen, you've got to do this now. You've got to do this. There's so many carjackings. He was afraid and he wanted to be protected. It says it helps if you look like you got a passenger in the car, but he went a step further and put a rifle in his hands. Oh my goodness, I love it. See, that's how he found protection. These are dangerous times. We have locks, we have alarms, right? We have weaponry, we have, some of us have vicious guard dogs. We seek ways to protect ourselves and protect our things, right, from danger. These are dangerous times. So whom do, who do you rely on for protection? The sad part of being human, and I think you will be able to agree with me, the sad part is from head to toe, we have internal dangers, don't we? Around every corner, something can go wrong within our system. And not only that, we have external dangers that we face constantly, external dangers. So what is one to do when you're surrounded by danger and you're looking for protection? And this is the encouragement I want to bring today because there's only one kind, and it's of the divine nature that truly protects. So let's look at Acts 12. I want to read the first five verses just to start. Acts 12, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people 
So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Here we have Herod the Agrippa. It's not Herod the Great. This is Herod the Agrippa. He'd be the grandson to Herod the Great when Jesus was born. Horrible, horrible man, just like pretty much all the Herods. Okay, when I say Herod, it's like me saying president. We've talked about that. This is Herod Agrippa. And Herod was not fully embraced by the Jewish people. Okay? He was looking, in essence, for brownie points with them. And what he did is he took the brother of John. This is James, the disciple now, the brother of John, the sons of Debedee, and he ran him through with a sword. Okay? He killed him with a sword. Most scholars, because of the culture, he was beheaded with a sword. Killed. And he saw how much this pleased the Jews. Oh, well, this is my end. This is my way in. So what did he do? He arrested Peter as well. I'm going to do it again. The only problem with arresting Peter is they were in the days of unleavened bread, and Herod, trying to get in with the Jews, didn't want to break their law. And their law was you cannot kill anybody during the Passover. Now let me explain. The days of unleavened bread comes after the Passover. You have the Passover. The next seven days are what we call the days of unleavened bread. But they just called the whole thing, right, all the components, they called it the Passover. So in this time, he was not allowed to kill anyone. So what does he do? He puts him in a very secure prison and has him guarded during these next seven days, Right? During this time of unleavened bread, I'm going to get you, Peter. I'm going to get more points with the Jewish uh, crowd here. They're going to love me all the more because I am going to kill you just like I killed James. But I have to wait, so I am going to guard you, and I'm going to put four squads of guards. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. But do you understand what's happening in the background of this wonderful, crazy, miraculous event that's about to happen? Look at the very last line. Verse 5. Prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer was happening. Why? Well, because Peter and James had both and were facing external dangers. So prayer was being made. Let's look at this, verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel or the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to him, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. The night before, Peter will be killed. He will be murdered the very next day. This is the night before. And what is Peter doing? Peter is sleeping. Okay. 
Let me rephrase that. Peter is sleeping again. (laughs) Luke tells us that while Jesus was talking with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is in Luke 9, on that mount, Peter slept because he didn't expect anything to happen. In fact, he woke during the event. He slept. Matthew writes, in Matthew 26, Matthew writes that while Jesus prayed in in the Garden of Gethsemane, in that garden, Peter slept in disobedience to the Lord to command to pray with him. Peter slept. But here in Acts 12, we see Peter asleep on the night before his execution. This time it's different, y'all. This time it's different. He's in prison. And the reason Peter slept is because he was at peace. You know, it's well for you and I right now just to pause and wonder whether our religion, right, our faith, Will we be able to stand as well as that when our time comes? Think about it. Peter slept. If you remember, if you know your scripture, there was one time when Peter was afraid of death. Peter was so afraid of death, he called it perishing. You remember when Jesus was in the boat with them and he calmed the storm? The storm arose and all the disciples were running up. Hey, hey, why are you sleeping? We're going to perish. That's how they saw death. There was a time. There was a time when that's what he saw death, but not now. He cares not in the least. He has learned to know and he has learned to trust his Savior. And maybe he even recalled what Jesus told him when Jesus predicted his death. Let me read this verse to you. This is John 21, 18. John 21, 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus told Peter, basically, you're going to be an older man and you're going to die crucifixion as well. You're going to die. Of course, Peter did not want to die like Jesus. He was hung upside down in his execution. But isn't it interesting whether Peter recalled this verse and said, I can't die by the sword. Jesus told me how I'm going to die. Or he was just at peace because he was ready to go home and meet Christ again. He wanted to be with Jesus again. He slept in peace. Now, let me explain these guards because this is important because this, this is the background to our story here. Whether they, sometimes Roman guards were set up for 24 hours. You'd have a squadron of four soldiers over 24 hours, which meant they had a six-hour shift. That's not bad. Six hours of work, you're pretty fresh. But sometimes when you're guarding someone important, there was a 12-hour shift over the night. That means four squads, right, would divide up the 12 hours, three hours. I would love to work only three hours. Some of you think that's what I do. Three hours. Can you imagine how fresh the soldiers were rotating every three hours? And there were chains. Folks, here's how it worked. Not only was Peter locked inside the prison, he was locked inside a cell behind prison bars. He was chained to one guard. He was chained to the other guard. There were sentries at the doors, locked doors, four watching every three hours to every six hours. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that is a hopeless situation. You are not getting out of that. That is a hopeless situation. And we find ourselves encountering in our lives hopeless situations all the time. This angel appeared. And I'm going to talk about angels a little bit. This angel appeared. And you know what the angel did? 
the angel did what Peter could not do. Peter could not break those chains. Peter could not walk past the first two guards or the other two guards. Peter could not open those prison doors. He did, or the angel did what he could not do. But do you notice something in this text? Peter also had to contribute, didn't he, to this miracle? I could see the angel yelling at Peter. Peter was a stubborn disciple, a boisterous man. I mean, get up. Peter, get your sandals, get dressed, put on your cloak, we gotta go. I could see him talking like that. Peter didn't really understand what was going on, right? Peter had to do what he was able to do. He was a fellow worker, a co-laborer in this, okay? God, first of all, did not need an angel to save Peter. God could do it on himself. He uses these angels, and I'm gonna explain that in a minute. God didn't need Peter's help. Peter, God could address Peter. But he said, I want you to contribute too. You're going to be a part of this. So Peter had to do his part. And that's important for us to remember. Okay? Now, there was a vision, if you will. This, this is tricky. Peter is awoken suddenly. The angel strikes him and the chains come off. He's told to get dressed and follow him. Now, he said it's a vision. He doesn't know what's really going on. I hate to admit this, but has any, I don't know what you call it. I'm sure there's a wonderful term. Have you ever been driving and gone into what I call that driving trance? Okay, it's, it's where you're like staring on the road. <laughs> yeah, you're a truck driver, you've done it. You're, you're, you're driving and like you just go away somewhere, you fade out. Um, and then all of a sudden you like collect yourself. Oh my goodness, how in the world did I stay in my lane, maintain my speed? you know, have a correct distance behind this car. How did I do that? Because I don't know where I just went. Has anyone ever done that? Driver trance, driver trance, anybody? Okay, good, I'm not alone. It happens more than I like to admit. I believe it was something like that, where we, Peter, he knew what he was doing. He saw, the, he saw what was happening. It just, it wasn't fully relevant yet. He didn't, there was not a full realization of what was truly happening. It's kind of like that driver's trance. That's the way I see it. And it's just interesting how this miracle starts to unfold. Because see, the angel brought Peter to complete safety. Chains, guards, door to the city, this particular street, this one street, and then the angel leaves. He departs. See, the angel did what he was instructed to do. He got Peter out, and then he left. Now Peter had to continue on. Who remains after the angel departs, though? This is the beauty of this. Who remains after the angel departs? God. This is God's work. Let's look at verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. 
But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the uh, brothers, excuse me, then he departed and went to another place. We just talked about this. As Peter was let out, he came to the full realization of what happened. Oh, this wasn't a vision. I was saved by God. An angel came. Now, we have to remember what's going on in the background. Earnest prayer is being made by the church. So there are many praying in Mary's house. This is John Mark's mother. Mark traveled with Paul and Barnabas. Mark, Mark he has a self-titled book in the Gospels. This is the, who we believe this mother is, the mother of John Mark. So <clears throat> they're praying. Now, that's a bit comical with the servant girl named Rhoda. It's, it's a bit comical she comes to the hearing this knock, and she hears Peter's voice. She would have known Peter's voice. <laughs> She's flipping out, man. She's like flipping out. Instead, of, she didn't know what to do. I, do I open the door? I got to go tell him. She leaves Peter, who just broke out of prison, standing out in the streets by himself. Let me in. Ugh. I don't want anyone to see me. I just broke out of prison. Let me in, right? So she's running in and telling the brothers, "Hey, <laughs> Peter's at the gate." I'm not kidding you. I heard his voice. It's Peter. And they're like, no, it can't be. It can't be. They're praying for the very miracle of his release, and now they're saying, no, it cannot be Peter. It's his angel. And what we mean by this is a guardian angel. But let me explain something. I can neither confirm nor deny that we have guardian angels. And what I mean by that is assigned angels from birth. If you believe that, more power to you. But the Bible doesn't give us much. They give us Matthew 18.10. Matthew 18.10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. We could very well have assigned angels. I do not have an answer for you. It is unanswerable. There's not enough information. But I will tell you that God sends his angels to help us, just like Peter, and they are guardian angels at that point, but this one departed. But I wanted to stress something. In their culture, they believed in guardian angels because they said it is his angel. They weren't talking about a ghost. What they were talking about was a spirit that manifested itself in Peter's voice and Peter's persona, his look, and was probably announcing, hey, Peter is about to die, or Peter is dead. So they're saying it's his angel. And they didn't bother getting up. But she was persistent. No, this, this is Peter. I hear him. It's Peter. So they opened the door. All of them. They saw who it was. Now you can imagine the commotion. This is nighttime now. Just broke out of prison. You can imagine the commotion and the loudness. So Peter's like, shh, he's motioning. Guys, you got to be quiet. I just broke out of jail. Be quiet, because I would have been joyous. I would have started raising my voice. So you can imagine they were probably uh, having a little party right there in the street, welcoming Peter home, because they can't believe it. They're praying for it, but they can't believe God did this. So he says, listen, I need you to tell James. Now, this James in particular is Jesus' half-brother. James was a prominent leader in the Jerusalem church now and would be, not Peter. Peter had to go on. Peter had a task. God had commissioned him with something great. So Peter was not staying in Jerusalem, but James was. And Peter said, you've got to tell James and the brothers what happened here, and then I'm leaving. 
They need to know. And so Peter goes away. So we have to think about this for a second. I got two little verses left. We have to think about this. You have this wonderful, miraculous event that could have not been done without the help of angels. We have people that in the whole, through this whole ordeal have been praying for the very thing that just happened, but they can't believe it happened. And this great miracle has yet to really be discovered because daylight hasn't broke. The guards haven't woke up or noticed. I want to see, the Lord responds to prayer, guys. Have you noticed this, though? The Lord responds to prayer even when it is not accompanied by a great deal of faith. These believers were praying fervently. They were praying, uh, praying excuse me, intensely. But you cannot say they were praying a prayer of full faith, were they? They didn't even have enough faith to believe that Peter was free when he was knocking at the door. So they must have, as they were praying, didn't have enough faith to realize what would happen, what could actually happen. And I like this story. Let me tell you why. Because we're just like them. We are just like them. We can pray fervently. We can pray with an intensity. But a lot of times, we're not sure if anything's going to happen. And there's the beauty of our God. Here is the beauty of our God. God can still work through a tiny amount of faith. In Matthew 17, Jesus said that the size of a mustard seed, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, just a tiny bit of faith that you could move mountains. So if you have faith enough just to pray, well, things can happen. Doors can open. Chains can fall off. Just ask Peter. Prayer, earnest prayer by the church. We can't let that escape what we're hearing today. See, the Lord sovereignly chose to work through the avenue of prayer in order to teach us some things. One, to talk to him. Yes, God wants you to talk to him. God wants you to depend on him. God wants you to rely on him, and we do that through our faith and in prayer. Folks, he makes the wine. We fetch the water. We are workers with God. The servants are the ones who fetch the water before we turn it to wine. We are co-laborers. He wants to work with us. So do you see do you kind of see the procedure here? It makes us fellow workers with God. Peter had to get dressed. The angel wasn't going to dress him. I broke the chains off and I'm going to get you out of here. You get dressed. We are co-workers with our God. Did Peter need the angel for his rescue? Yes, Peter did. Peter needed this angel for this rescue. But guess what? During this rescue, the angel needed Peter to act as well. And we have to remember that. We are to act as well. Let's talk about the forces real quick. <clears throat> There's two forces going on here. There's two sides. We have Herod. We have the soldiers, the prison, the chains, the locks. That's what we have on this side. Over here, <clears throat> we have a force of a different nature. We have this little, tiny, poor little church with brothers and sisters kneeling down in Mary's house, probably a little room, to pray, Lord, deliver Peter. Lord, please deliver Peter. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on him as we pray to you. Please free Peter. 
I can only imagine the words that they were praying. James had just been killed. Shock. First disciple that was ever martyred. Not the first person martyred, but the first disciple was James. So that was probably a shock to their system. And now their brother Peter was going to get the same thing because Herod wanted the Jews to like him even more. Two forces. You have the earth on one side and you have heavens on the other. Could the disciples have said, let's invest our money in weaponry. Let's break Peter out of jail. (laughs) I don't think they thought this at all. Let's buy some weapons. Let's fight our way into that prison. and Let's break Peter out. No, that wouldn't work. Then they'd all be fugitives. Plus, they're going to fight trained soldiers who already own weapons and know how to use them very well. No. What if we put all our money together and we bribe the soldiers? Well, here's the problem with bribing a soldier. A Roman soldier, if they lost who was under their watch, right, if that inmate escaped, then those soldiers or soldier were punished by the very punishment that was assigned to that inmate. So Peter was going to be killed, death. If these guards were to lose Peter, that punishment would now be placed upon them and they would face death. It's hard to bribe somebody with an amount of money and say, in exchange for your life. Hey, will you take this money in exchange for your life? No guard is gonna do that. No, I wanna live. So what could they do if they couldn't attack, if they couldn't bribe? How are they gonna get Peter out? Well, they prayed. And they prayed the chains off Peter. We can pray just like that. Folks, when we are facing extraordinary difficulties, we may look for extraordinary help. I don't know why we don't get that sometimes, and I'm talking to myself. When we are facing extraordinary difficulties, we can turn and look for extraordinary help. In this story, we see that when Peter's urgent need is met, the angel departs. He leaves. But the love of Christ remains and is still there. God is the one sending the angels. Folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. It's not the angels that are protecting you. It's not your parents or friends. It's not your pastor. It is God. It is God who is doing this. See, the angels do not come on their own. It's almost like God is here and they're all just looking, reading his face, waiting for instruction. See, angels are messengers. Angels are ministers. They minister to us. They do not serve us. They serve God. They minister to us. Angels are worshipers, and they're warriors. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody that tells me that angels are fat little babies that blow trumpets, right, and shoot little bows, and they bounce from cloud to cloud. Cute little angels. Angels are dreadful. They're warriors, We can't see it, but angelic fights, demonic fights are happening all around us. We can't see these battles. Angels are warriors, and God uses these angels to minister to his people. That's you and I. I Mike, here's your book. Joe, here's your book. Jenna, here's your book. I would love for you to have a book with your name on it, and you flip from the very first page of birth all the way to present day and see how many times God has protected you through a divine nature. God can protect you through natural laws. Absolutely, he can. He also protects us through the supernatural. And we may not even know what happened. How many times have angels been sent to meet a need of ours? I would love to see that. I would love to look through the book. 
They don't come on their own. It is God's. So when the angel departs, don't worry. It is God's ever watchful eye that's still upon you. He is looking out for you. If he needs to send another fleet of angels, he will. Because it's not the angels. It's God. And that's who we're praying to. Divine protection. I, I spoke of this before. Oh, look at verse 18. Let's close this. Now when they came... Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. <clears throat> I bet there was a, a massive disturbance. Did you fall asleep? No, I, was, I didn't fall asleep. Did you unlock the door? No, the door's locked. Well, where is he? I'm still chained. Where? How did Peter escape? Could you imagine the dismay and the confusion that these soldiers felt? Because they knew. They knew that they would be put to death. And did Herod put him to death? Absolutely he did. And then he leaves. Isn't that just like Herod? He leaves. I'm getting out of here. This is embarrassing. I put four squads of soldiers to guard this guy. I wanted to kill him. He's been in prison this whole time. And the night before he escapes... I do not want to face the Jews. I don't want to face anybody. Kill them. I'm out of here. And he got the heck out of Dodge. He sure did. Herod left. Internal and external dangers, as stated in the beginning of this sermon, we face them. But God's purposes, God's purposes prevail. We're going to see this in James and Peter. God's purposes prevail. Earnest prayer is happening with these co-laborers that are kneeling down on the house, at Mary's house, praying. This is happening. We are looking at hopelessness, right? At hopelessness becoming hopeful. The human condition, whether internally or externally, we are fragile. We are complex. We are easy to break. We are easy to break. We live in a hopeless condition. We can't save ourselves, right? Our sin nature was a hopeless condition until Jesus Christ died and shed his blood to remove us from hopelessness to hopeful. Just like Peter's chains were broken, our chains were broken too. We move from hopelessness to hopeful. And in our life, in the events in our life, they too, through the power of God and his divine protection, we could be moved from the hopelessness to the hopeful. And that's the human condition, whether it's our sin nature or we're talking about our very existence. If we get sick, it's hard to save yourself. Don't we need assistance? If we're in trouble, it's hard to save ourselves. Don't we need help? And that's what we're talking about. Peter is able to leave and continue his ministry because even a little bit of faith worked. Even a little bit of faith. I want to read some verses. Psalm 91, 1 through 2. Psalm 91, 1 through 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. These, these are two awesome verses that we need to carry with us in our Christian walk. And you know what I mean by our Christian walk, the rest of your life as you follow and pursue Christ. Dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, abiding in his shadow. He's our refuge, he's our fortress, he's our protector. This is who we trust. This is how James and this is how Peter saw this. One was executed, one was able to live another day. Psalm 121, 
Let's look at this. This is a song of ascents. I lift my, up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The, sh uh, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep you your life. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That is powerful. That is absolutely powerful. When we are looking for divine protection, we should look to those two Psalms right there and realize where our help comes from. Not me, not you, not angels. Our help comes from our Lord. But you know, I want to say something. If we look at Peter and James, we look at the work, the work that they accomplished during their years of their mortal life being done in the name of Jesus, by his power, by his influence through the Holy Spirit, it's a work which survives them. It survives. It, it, it was instrumental. They were instrumental in its fulfillment. It is still surviving. What do I mean by that? The work of Peter and James is day by day reaping fruit. Every day it is producing some kind of active and living effect in the church of God. It never stopped. It is still affecting the church. Their mortal life may be over, but that which they affected during their time here on earth, it is continuing on because we're talking about it right now. It's, so it's easy to be discouraged. Let me put myself right there next to you. I know that it is easy to be discouraged, right? Sometimes we look at, at um, <clears throat> the triumphs of wickedness and wicked people and we think, man, why, why? Why are they winning? Folks, the triumphs of wickedness will not prevail. It is temporary. It is temporary. They will not prevail. But I understand being discouraged still. I get it. By waiting in prayer, sometimes we can be discouraged. But here's the thing about a Christian. Here's, about, here's the thing about a believer and their Christian walk. We can look with hope beyond the moment to see the continuing victory of God in the years to come. Let me explain that. We can look beyond the moment, James' death, Peter's release. We can look beyond these moments to see the continuing victory of God in the years to come. How can I say that's true? Because we're seeing it right now with the story of James and Peter, the continuing victory. We're victorious today being here, celebrating God, worshiping God, learning about God, trying to build our lives up in God and be grounded. There's that victory. So when your resolution, which I hope it is, to preach Jesus and him crucified, <clears throat> As you move forward in that, at that task, there's going to be times of discouragement. There's going to be times of hardship. But we have to look past that moment to the hope that we have because victory will be in God, in our lives, and in the work that we do. So, there was purpose in James and Peter. Hear me out. I have had many conversations with people that don't believe in God or say they don't believe in God and say, how could God, you're saying God's all loving and just, how can God allow a one-year-old precious baby to die, yet let a man 
that's rotting in prison, 90 years old, rotting in prison for murder, let him live. You tell me how you can believe in a God like that. It's interesting to me that they get angry at a God they don't believe in, and it's interesting to me that they want to point blame to a God they don't believe in. Well, that's a whole other sermon. I get that. Why was James dying? Why was he killed and Peter allowed to live? Have you been thinking about that yet? If you haven't, think about it. Is it unfair? Is it unjust? No. God had a purpose for James. God had a purpose for Peter. He loved them, and both of them were in his hands. He loved them both dearly. So did James do something wrong where he was absolutely not? I'm going to tell you what this is called. It's called unanswerable. I cannot tell you why James died and Peter lived. Why wasn't it reversed? Reverse. Why didn't Peter die? Why didn't James live? Why did they both live? It's unanswerable. Do you want to know why? Because it's God's purpose. It's not mine. I can't understand God's purposes. Not in that content. It's God's alone. It's unanswerable. But do you notice something? I believe that angels in this divine protection were at work in both. We see that the angels worked with Peter, didn't we? Well, I'm proposing to you right now that the angels were right there with James. There's a parable called the rich man. Lazarus. In Luke 16.22, Luke 16.22, it says this, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. There's other verses in Scripture, too, that talk about uh, the carrying away of a person to heaven. I believe the angels were right there when James died. And here's why I'm going to say this. I have read too much testimony and I've had firsthand accounts of people who were on their deathbed, who died right before their death, talking to somebody, smiling, laughing, at peace. I don't know what's going on. My personal opinion is that God sent angels to escort them to heaven. I truly believe that. That's my thing. If you want to believe it, you're right there with me. Good. If not, that's okay. That does not affect our salvation, just like believing in guardian angels doesn't. But I believe that angels were there when James was beheaded. Maybe they helped direct the blow so he didn't suffer at all. I don't know. But I do believe that he was carried away, just like we read in this parable, to be with God. So James was saved and divinely protected just as much as Peter was. See, God's purposes are unanswerable, but we have to understand they're His. What are we supposed to do? Continue to pray. Earnestly, fervently pray. It was happening behind the scenes. This whole time, this prayer was happening. They were gathering together to pray for a great need. They were gathering together to pray for divine protection. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. For the believer, it's kind of a win-win, folks. Think about it. For a believer, it's kind of a win-win. Why? Because we are living under divine protection here and now, and we will have divine protection then. Whether you're living another day with like Peter or you're facing death and departing this world, we are under divine protection. It's a win-win. Again, if you've made the resolution to preach Jesus and him crucified, you have to realize this is a sermon of encouragement for you. This is for encouragement. Whether, again, we're facing our parting from this world or we're allowed to live another day, it is God himself who allows it. Because we dwell in the shelter of the Most High. 
Not only do we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, we abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He's our fortress. He's our refuge. And we can all say this together. My God in whom I trust. James knew it. Peter knew it. God's purposes prevailed. Both were protected. And the church continued to pray. The church continued to pray. Fellow workers with God. Divine protection comes to us, folks, in this life, and as we are taken to the next, the inheritance is waiting. It's protected. Thieves can't get it. Rust can't get it. Moths can't get it. That inheritance is divinely protected. Your life is in the hands of God. You are divinely protected. What an encouragement for a Christian living in this world. I want you to have this. I want you to realize what you're up against, extraordinary difficulties, but at the same time, I want you to realize what you have, extraordinary help. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, you are, you're just, you're, you're the Almighty. You're the Almighty. Father, we take refuge in you. Lord, whether it's an internal danger that we're facing, whether it's something on the outside, Lord, Whatever is terrifying and scaring us, Father, you are there. You can work within the regular laws of nature. You can work with the supernatural. You can do anything because through your purpose and your will, all things are possible. And we praise you for being a God that is almighty in every way. Father, you are the strength for us. You strengthen us daily, even in our weakest Father, you are strong. Father, we pray that you continue to lift us up, to continue to deliver us from the dangers of this world. We pray that your protection is always upon us, Lord, especially as we minister to others, as we share the gospel, as we share you, Father. We pray that your protection is always upon us. Lord, be with us in this life and be with us as we depart to step in that next part of process, Lord. That next process, Lord, that salvation where we enter your kingdom. Father, be with us in all things. And we know you are. We know you are. Help us remember that. Father, let us be like that tiny little church in Jerusalem, praying earnestly and fervently with an intensity Praying for Peter, let us be like that for when our people are injured or sick or facing a danger. Let us come together as a family and pray too, Lord. And even with a little bit of faith, Father, you hear us. We are grateful that you are just our God, that you are our God in whom we trust. We thank you for that, Lord. Let us honor you in our lives. Let us honor you in our behaviors. Let us honor you in our love for each other. And remember always that you love us so much that you died for us. You've given us and poured and showered upon us your blood, the ultimate protection, Father. We thank you for that. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.